Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Well, Merry Post-Christmas to everyone. (laughs) Who had a Merry Christmas? (laughs) Who had a Scary Christmas? (laughs) Very timid hands going up. <laughs> Some of you didn't raise your hand. I'm curious what kind of Christmas you had. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to dive straight in today. We have, we have some some fun ground to cover. Um, I, I would like to talk today about your value. Your value and where it comes from and how you feel it, and all those kinds of things. So, so where does your value come from? <laughs> I fear, I hear like three people saying Jesus. <laughs> and I heard like, <laughs> where does your value come from? <laughs> oh, we have more work to do than I thought, man. Okay. So in the beginning, God created that. We know that our value comes from God, comes from Jesus, comes from the one who created us. I think. (laughs) Yes? Great. Oh, man. So what what does that mean? And how do we feel that? And is that how we're measuring our value or... Is it not? These are all uh, interesting questions. So I, I, I want to draw a really, really broad picture and then try to focus in on kind of one spot where this, this affects us. So we can kind of, not, not just, not so that I can kind of cover this entire subject because I can't do that in the amount of time that we have, but um, so that we can kind of use this one thing as an example that we can look at other things with. Does that, does that make sense? <laughs> All right, everyone stand up real quick. We need to wake up a little bit. This is, this is a little embarrassing, if I'm being honest. Let's, let's stand up. All right. Okay. I know you've eaten way too many sweets and probably a turkey or a ham or a sweet potato pie or a pumpkin pie, whatever is traditional in your, in your family. But let's, uh, let's uh, all take a deep breath in. I'll take a deep breath out. Let's uh, slowly stretch our arms above us. Hopefully your shirt's long enough. Mine's not, so don't look. (laughs) And slowly lower them back down. Oh, okay. I already feel better. You can sit back down. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) All right. I want to talk about the... Uh, well, let me start. So let me start by saying this. How many of you, uh, some of you maybe in the corporate world or in the, in the business world have heard of this. How many of you ever heard of the Peter Principle before? Ever heard of this before? Okay, the Peter Principle. So for those of you who are not familiar, this is my brief explanation of the Peter Principle. So let's just say you go do some big business and you go in there and you work in the mailroom and you're really good at working at the mailroom. You do your job well, you work hard, you make it happen. <coughs> And so you get promoted to assist in the office, right? Something happens. 
you do a really good job assisting in the office, do a great job there, you're super helpful, super awesome, boom, they promote you to be an office manager. Yeah? You're a good office manager, you run everything really efficiently, it goes super well, it's super great, it's awesome. They promote you to be a middle manager, an upper manager, where you're managing the other managers, right? Well, the, the Peter Principle posits, while Peter Piper picks pickled peppers, um, the Peter Principle suggests that um, at some point you are likely to be promoted outside your actual skill set. This doesn't happen to everyone because everyone's got different kinds of skill sets, but eventually it makes sense that you will get promoted outside your skill set. Maybe you're awesome at just working hard in the mailroom, you get promoted. You're awesome at hustling in the office, you get promoted. Maybe you're pretty good at creating uh, you know, an organization uh, to where things get done, but then all of a sudden they, you get promoted to manage other managers. Maybe you're not good at managing other managers. Maybe you're really good at managing a specific team, but managing managers is not so great. Well, let's just say you're really good at managing managers, then they promote you again, and you're the, the COO, Chief Operations Officer. Is that what that is? I'm a businessman. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> I didn't call it the coup. Um, <laughs> the COO. It's a terrible joke. I'm very sorry. Oh, Lord. Okay. This is going great. Um, Maybe you were great at managing other managers, but you're not great. You're just, it's not your skill set to make big, uh, sweeping strategic decisions about the, and tactical decisions about the company, right? So in most corporate uh, jobs, in most job situations around here, um, there's not really a model for being demoted back down to your skill set. Why? Because that's so insulting. That's, that's offensive. When people have tried this, generally people get demoted back down. There's resentment. There's upsetness. And so what do they do? They just fire you. You get promoted, 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 promoted until you get outside your skill set and then you get fired. Um, so that, in, in a nutshell, is the Peter Principle. Now, who knows what the Peter Principle is? Great. Slightly more people. Um, so I'm going I'm to throw a couple big words at you, and I just want this to be a framework for what we're talking about, okay? So who has ever heard the word capitalism? Nice. Do we like capitalism? Okay. <laughs> Do we know what it is? <laughs> Webster's Dictionary defines capitalism as an economic and political system in which a country's trade and industry are controlled by private owners for profit rather than the state. Um, easy comparison point would be like communism. The, the fundamental idea behind communism is that, uh, so in capitalism, I make, uh, I, I'm a farmer, I farm oranges, and I get those oranges. I decide I'm going to sell these oranges for $5 a piece because these are awesome oranges. Um, they're, they're organic. Uh, <laughs> probably. <laughs> so, um, so I decide those are worth $5, and then people decide if they want to buy it. If not, someone else sells their oranges for $2, and the, then the economy adjusts and whatnot, and either that's how that works. Um, in a, like, for example, communist state, that would be the government decides oranges are worth $2.55, and that is what oranges are worth, and that is what they cost. The end. Um, not going to get into the whole details behind why those work or don't work or anything like that, because we just do not have time for that. But just to give you a picture of that framework. Now, the Peter Principle exists 
because we, uh, let me throw one more uh, phrase at you. Uh, so a, a lot of the United States have a, has a capitalistic value. We value the freedom of being able to choose uh, what kind of work we do, how we do it, how much we charge for it, whether this job is worth this much to me, whether me working at this job is worth this much. We, we value those kinds of things, so we tend to have capitalistic values. Um, now, this drips down into everything. This drips down into the way that we think. That's what the American dream is, is, you know, how many of you grew up hearing some form of, oh, you know, if you work hard enough, you can be whatever you want to be. Ever hear some version of that? Cool. It's a very capitalistic mindset. If I work hard enough, I can get to where I need to be. That's also a very meritocratic mindset, a meritocracy. Webster's Dictionary defines as government or the holding of power by people selected on the basis of ability. So the people who are good at something get promoted. How many of you would say that's a good idea? Some of you are getting nervous that I'm about to pull a rug out from under you. I am, but not the one you think. Uh, so we tend to have meritocratic values. We think that the person who is most qualified, who is the best at something, who has the most experience doing something, ought to be the person who's promoted or in charge or something like that. Hence, if you work hard enough, you can be whatever you want, right? Now, not everyone thinks that way. I, I was a missionary in Russia with my family when I was a little kid, and it was an immediate post-communist Russia, and it was really fascinating talking to all these different people who grew up under a very different mindset than what I experienced. I also um, do some uh, ministry trips to Germany, uh, particularly Eastern Germany, which was un under communist rule for a long time. And it is interesting seeing the different kinds of mindsets. An idea like, if you work hard enough, you can be whatever you want to be, is foreign to someone where a government issues you a job. That here are your three choices for a job. Which job would you like? No, you can have that one. Um, <laughs> and here is how much that job is worth. And here is how much your house is worth. And how much it's, worth. it's a different kind of mindset, yeah? So, uh, I'm not going to get into the weeds of all this because I generally think that uh, capitalistic democracy is probably a better form of government than a communist dictatorship. I think we could probably agree on that. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> if not, we can talk afterwards. But that's not the point. Even though I generally think that a capitalistic uh, meritocracy is probably pretty good values, it creates this situation this one very small specific situation called the Peter Principle, where it is improper for someone to get promoted into a certain place and then get demoted back into their actual zone, their actual area of skill set. Why? Because a capitalistic mindset tends to create value based on my position. Because that is tied to my worth, my merit, my ability, all of those things. Oh, whoopsie, doopsie. <laughs> let, me, let me zoom in on this for just one second here. Um, how many of you ever heard, well, is God's kingdom a meritocracy? Is it about the most qualified person being in charge? Well, no, but also kind of, because God's in charge. He's pretty qualified. 
his resume is pretty awesome, <laughs> for being honest. Um, but is it his merit that puts him in charge? Is it because he's super powerful? <laughs> they used to talk about these kind of things back in the, um, you know, again, we're in a capitalistic, uh, d- democratic meritocracy. I know, I'm so sorry about all these words, but this is what they're called. Um, back in the days of kings and queens and nobles and peasants and things like that, they had a certain viewpoint of God being the one in charge because he is the most noble, the most holy, and people who were born in these families were more holy, and therefore they were chosen by God to rule over other people. It was based on, uh, uh, what was it? Oh, right of kings, uh, the, a, um, oh, I have it written down. Let me get it. I have to show up my face every time. Okay. Uh, it, it was often built on a, on a patriarchy of the oldest son being the, uh, ha- the person by whom was, who was chosen to be the leader, right? Now, we have some of the roots or, or some of the leftovers of this value system in our society, but we don't really work that way anymore. So when we read a story like King, the, the story of King David getting anointed, do you remember that story? where uh, Jesse brought out all of his sons and he didn't bring the youngest son. And we hear that story and we're offended that he didn't bring the youngest son, right? You're like, oh, how could he not bring the youngest son? And of course he, he anointed the, the, you know, the youngest, most, most right one because David's heart was right. He had good merit, right? Right? Whereas if you look at that from an older perspective, from a perspective of the people at the time, it would make perfect sense that his youngest son wouldn't come. That that, that person would probably, it'd be more valuable for them to keep doing their job and keep doing what they're doing. Does that make sense? Okay, what I'm trying to draw a picture of is it's so important to recognize how you measure your value and where your values come from. Do they come from the society that you were raised in or do they come from your heavenly father? Let me give you a scripture that, that explains this a little bit more clearly. It's uh, Romans 12:2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I've said this before, but the, the more literal translation of that phrase is, the, the do not be pressed into the pattern of this world, is do not allow yourself to be pressed into the mold, like a piece of clay being pressed into a mold. Do not let things the, being the way they are teach you how things are supposed to be. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God wants to show you who he is. So let me explore one more thing here. So if we have this system where our, our value is determined, uh, you know, in, in most of our society, if who's the most important person in a company? The CEO. I know that one. The CEO. He's the boss. He's in charge. He's the most valuable, most important person in the company, right? Any rank you are below him is less, him or her, is uh, less valuable, Right? Right? I'm not saying should it be that way. I'm saying is it that way? Yeah, it's that way. Um, so, and because we have a meritocratic perspective, we think, well, if we work hard, maybe I'll be the CEO someday. Maybe I'll get a promotion. Maybe I will get 
higher up in this company, right? Do you think that works great when we apply that to the kingdom of God? Well, let's take an example. How many of you have ever heard that if you want to be great in God's kingdom, then you need to be the servant of all? Good idea? Here's the problem. When we have a, a capitalistic, meritocratic perspective on that principle, we hear that as, if I want to become the most important person, then I need to start at the bottom and work my way up. We hear, I need to be humble and be willing to serve so that I can then have a position of authority. That's not how Jesus said it. He actually said it several times. When I was, when I was researching for, for this, I was shocked at the number of times I'd heard, you know, this is a familiar phrase. In, there's, there's multiple times in each of the Gospels that Jesus says this exact, uh, variations on this exact same thing. So I'm, I'm going to read this whole story. This is uh, in Matthew 2020, which is appropriate. Um, then the mother of Zebedee's sons uh, came to Jesus with her sons and said, kneeling down, uh, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at the left in your kingdom. I would like my sons to be on the right and left of you in your kingdom. He's, she's asking for a position of authority, a position of power for her sons. Tracking? Okay. <coughs> Uh, in verse 22, Jesus responds, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered, not knowing what he was saying at all. I added that part, but <laughs> wanted to give them a little bit of credit. <laughs> verse 23, Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right hand or left is not free for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard this, they were indignant with two. <laughs> when the ten heard this, they were indignant with the two brothers. These are two of the disciples. They're like, "Did you get your mom to sneak up to Jesus to ask for a good spot? What'd you do that for?" And Jesus called them together and said, "Come on, guys, family meeting, team meeting, let's go." Um, called them together and said, "You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them." Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We have a tendency to think, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, then be the servant of all. We have a tendency to think, this is one they used uh, back in the time of kings and queens as well, of even be humble and serve now, and then later you get to be kings and rulers, adding jewels in your crown, adding a wing to your mansion in heaven. You ever heard those kind of statements before? It's capitalistic, meritocratic thinking. The more I work, the more I get, even though the gospel doesn't say that, but we've got to sneak that in there somehow. Jewels in the crown, you know, that kind of thing. What Jesus said here is not be a servant so that you can then have authority. He's saying being a servant is being the greatest in my kingdom. 
Does that make sense? Do you see that very, very, very important difference? Let me just try to draw a few pictures of how this, how this, this is a, seems like a small difference, but how this can infect and totally undermine God's place that he has for us in our lives. Have you ever had the feeling when you're serving in an environment of, oh, I've been serving here for X number of years and no one knows me and no one's asked me to be on team X or team Y. You don't need to raise your hand. <laughs> but have you ever had that feeling? <laughs> that <laughs> That's us trying to earn a position in God's kingdom. <laughs> and I'm God's kingdom is not a company. It's, it's not an organization. It is not a, it is not a hierarchy. It is not a capitalistic meritocracy. It is not a communist dictatorship. I, this is just my personal belief, I believe every form of government is just a type or a shadow of parts of what God wants to do and God, what God wants to create. I don't think any of it's perfect. I think it was, uh, all right, no, I'll skip that. Um, so, what is God's kingdom? Explains it in Galatians. God's kingdom is a family. I'll just real, real quickly read this. Galatians 4, verse 4 through 7. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. If, if we th treat God's kingdom, and I'm, I'm not talking about the church, I'm talking about God's kingdom, something bigger than that. Obviously, the church is included in that. But if we treat, let's just say, the church and God's kingdom as a meritocracy or as a, uh, well, let's just go with meritocracy for a second, then I'm the most important person here right now. Right? The person with the microphone, the person who's talking to everyone is the most important person. But that's not how it works. Now we know that, but do we know how to live that? If, let's, let's take it a step further. If, if it is a meritocracy, if it is who has given the most, who has done the most, it tends to come with this mindset. I'm sure you've probably felt this at some point. The people who are doing the most for God are the pastors and the missionaries. That's what we tend to think, right? Anyone ever thought that? But God's kingdom is not an organization like that. It is a family. I have a family. I have a wife. Her name is April. She's over there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have five kids. I have... <laughs> 
One person's happy, everyone else is just scared. <laughs> my oldest son, Hayden. My second son, Finley. My first daughter, November. My third son, Ender. And my second daughter, Sybil, who's also back there. In a company, who's the most valuable person? The CEO. Who has the most authority? The CEO. In a capitalistic meritocracy, we tend to equate value and authority. Who's the most valuable person in my family? <laughs> Not the most essential, <laughs> the most valuable, big difference. They are the same. There is no difference in value. It's, it's you know, I, I could do the whole, you know, tied to train tracks, which kid do you save thing, but that's depressing. So, which, <laughs> what's the most valuable? It's because there is no answer because the value is the same, right? Who has the most authority? <laughs> Thankfully, April is very generous and shares some with me. Um, <laughs> Do I have more authority than my kids? I should hope so, right? Does Hayden, my oldest son, have more authority than my second son, Finley? Oh, I don't know. Gosh, I never thought about that. His value is the same, but does he have different authority? Let me say it that way. Does he have different authority? Yeah. <laughs> does Finley, my second son, have a different authority than my older son, Hayden, has? <laughs> Is some of that authority based on his birth order and how he, just how he was born? Is some of that authority based on what they carry as people? I know you don't know them as well as I do. But you can think, equate this to your own family, your own friends, your own kids. Do they have different authority based on their different personalities, their likes, their dislikes, things like that? Yeah? You see where I'm going with this? In a family, authority and value are not attached. And it would be weird if it was. Yeah? Yet we keep doing that in the kingdom of God. And that is dangerous. I'm going to get a little personal for a second. Do you think that I, as one of the senior team members of this church, have a different authority than you do as a member of this church? Now, you don't need to answer. But before this conversation, did you think that that meant I was maybe more valuable to this church than you were? <laughs> My mother said yes. <laughs> I would have thought so. That's how I felt when I was, when I was uh, not, not uh, part of the leadership team of a church. I mean, uh, let's just get cold for a second. Like, if we're looking at this corporately, like the 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 you know the janitors here, and the you know then it's the ushers, then it's the sound team. Now nah, put the sound team down here. You know, this. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> if we're doing this based on that kind of value, and it becomes all these arguments of who's more valuable. You know, actually, when you get down to this whole thing, except we're not supposed to be. That's not how it works at all. Is this making sense? Again, I, I do not believe that a capitalistic meritocracy is an inherently bad thing. However, if you tr look at that 
if you look, take that lens to the kingdom of God, you will miss huge portions of God's intent. Does, does that make sense? Also, if we equate value, it, it, now this is the hard thing. I'm, I'm, okay, we'll keep swinging. Um, I got enough time to keep swinging. Um, We have people come up here who have like 40 testimonies of like seeing two people raised from the dead and this person got healed and this person got saved. Is that person of more value to the kingdom than you who's maybe never had any of those things happen? Yes, we, we say no, but we do not feel that way. We know that we're supposed to say no, but we don't feel that way. Right? <laughs> We're supposed to feel that way. If we don't feel that way, it gets harder and harder every time to celebrate when someone has a testimony and I don't have one yet. <laughs> if my value comes from merit, comes from achievement, comes from position, if any of these things... If my value is tied to those things, I will, without choosing to, resent people who have it when I don't. Without choosing to. You cannot, you're incapable of choosing that. Why? Because your value is meant to be equal with the person next to you. It is designed to be that way, and it is supposed to feel wrong. It is supposed to feel wrong when that is not the feeling. Does that make sense? Supposed to feel wrong. But you're not supposed to have the same authority as everyone around you. Right? Rewind back to the family situation. My kids are not supposed to have the same authority that I have. It would be weird if they did, right? But man, you can start to see how this gets so tangled up in our way of thinking. When you think, well, that's like, you can easily start thinking this way. Well, that's because your kid is less than you. Oh, no, he's not. He's just as valuable, and we know that. We can feel that. We can tune into that. But we have this mentality that puts people at lesser authority around us as less valuable and people with more authority around us as more valuable. Can you feel that in your heart as I talk about these different things? I'm saying all this because... We're going into, this is the end of the year. This is the last Sunday of the year. And I believe that the children of God have a gift to give the world. We were chit-chatting about this beforehand, but how it's been a really interesting decade. Now, I'm a big fan of history. I like history. Go back and slice any decade out of it and look at it. It's really interesting. A lot of interesting stuff going on. Pick a decade. A lot of interesting things going on. So a lot of hard things, a lot of good things. Any decade, any time. Except for the 90s. Nothing happened. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Um, Just in sync happened. (laughs) Um, One of the things that has happened more so in the last 10 years is the entire world can be in the same room and talk. (laughs) 
That is incredible. That is power that has never been experienced on this planet before. That is awesome. That is objectively awesome. There's no... Remember how I... Let me comment it this way. We have a gift that we can give the world. No one else has this gift. We can give the world that all of our value is the same. We can give the world the gift that all of our value comes from our Heavenly Father who gives it to us all equally. We can give them that gift. And that will change the way that people talk to each other. We can give them the gift of recognizing that value and authority are not the same thing. But we can't give it if we don't have it. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I'm just taking one very small slice of a big picture. The the big picture here is your upbringing, your background, your country, your uh, parents, your experience, all have added to the way that you see the world. And some of those were incredible, good, godly things. But no matter how incredible, good, even if every single one of those was a good thing, let's just say hypothetically, I imagine they were not all good, but let's just say theoretically that every single lesson you learned from your life and your family and your upbringing was, and your country was good. Let's just say that hypothetically. Guess what? It would still not include all of the goodness that's available in God. So we would still, even in that unrealistic, perfect scenario, need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, to be able to see good in places, see what he's doing, see what his intent is in places that we have yet to see it. Does that make sense? How much more do we need it when we have learned wrong lessons, when we have learned wrong, when we've received wrong lenses, when we've received cracked or broken ones? Does that make sense? It needs my face. I like to think that the CEO of Apple just receives pictures of every single person as they face things. That's my little imagination thing. So, so what do we do? How, do? how do we do this? We actually did it a little bit in worship. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever. Amen. You determine my value. You determine my purpose. You are the director of my life. Humility is not about thinking badly of yourself. 
In fact, thinking badly about yourself will completely undermine your ability to be humble. <laughs> Did you know that? <laughs> this is a diversion, but if you're thinking bad about yourself, you have nothing to be humble about. Does that make sense? If you're thinking negatively about yourself, you have no reason to be humble. <laughs> Humility is maintaining is maintaining proper perspective in the presence of power, authority, success, and competency. It's, it's being able to allow God to be the measurement, no matter how much merit you have. Now, I've just been talking kind of from the capitalistic meritocracy side that we get, and this is mainly around us getting value from our achievements and from what we do. There's lots of other places we can get our value we get our value because people hear what we say? Do we get our value because people like us or think well of us or think we're cool? Do we get our value because people will listen to us? Do we get our value from relationships at all? Do we get our value from our experience, from our age, from our, um, from our history, from... Uh, what we have that other people don't. There's lots of places that you can find value, but none of them are as fulfilling as receiving your value from God. And all of them will create inequality, competition, jealousy, and disconnection between people around you. Are we understanding the connection there? If my value, my personal value, my worth is tied to anything else except for God alone, that thing will always be a point of comparison, a point of dissension, a point of need for the rest of my life. Do you understand that? Now, this is where the enemy tries to trick us because those areas where you seek value are probably areas where you have authority, are probably areas that you're called to. If you tend to get val I'll just be honest, I, I write books. That's one of the things that I do. I love it. I want people to like my books. I want people to think my books are cool. I want people to be excited when they read my books. I want people to think my books are awesome. That makes me feel valued. Now I need to be careful because if I tie myself to that, then my Amazon review score is how good I'm doing. 4.4. That's pretty good. 4.4 <laughs> out of 5? Could be worse. Could be better? Could be worse. <laughs> the problem with that, and the problem with that because of how our brains work, is those few times, very few, that I've gone through and actually read those reviews, 600-something uh, reviews, if it's a 4.4, that means most of them are 5 stars, right? Guess which ones I remember? The one star and the two star ones. Those are the ones that I could quote to you right now. <laughs> Why? Because the, I, my value was not designed to come from that. Even from a ministry that God has called me to, my value was never designed to come from it. My value is designed to come from Him and Him alone. 
him and him alone. I still have authority in that area. I'm still called to that area. I still get to do great things in that area. That area can still matter to me, can still be important to me, can still be of great value to me. But if I get my value from there, there is an anchor around my life that is dragging me down. No matter how much success, (laughs) no matter how much victory, no matter how much freedom, If you get your value from relationships, there's no one who will love you enough. There was no one who will be kind to you enough. There's no one who will affirm you enough. Because your value is not designed to come from something that small. Your value is designed to come from something eternal. And we have to be so careful to not let our history teach us where our value should be coming from. Does that make sense? All right, stand up real quick, if you would. So this is something that we're capable of recognizing. You can look at yourself, look at your life, and ask yourself some questions. When you feel offended by someone, when you feel deeply hurt by someone, when you uh, get, get upset at someone else's success. And you can probably figure out where that value feeling is or where that where your value is anchored to what we're not capable of doing is doing anything about it <laughs> because we already know in our heads that our value is supposed to be anchored to him you all just said yeah in a way that sounded like you knew that and agreed with me <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um this is a gift that we have to receive from our heavenly father what Galatians said. We have to receive an adoption. We have to be adopted into this and hear from our Father who chose us, who paid for us, who paid a cost for us, where our value comes from. We cannot make this happen. This is not a cognitive decision. We, are, we all in this room already knew it. Probably most of you knew this already. We have to receive the gift of adoption again and again, and recognize those moments where we're being an orphan again who's looking for value, looking for value, looking for value in anything that is not him, even things that are of him but are not him. So what I want to do, um, I didn't prepare you for this, uh, but Vanessa, maybe if you could help me out just a little bit of... um, uh, I would just like to sing Yours is the Kingdom, Yours is the Glory, and Yours is the Power just, just one more time. Just to, like I said, w- w- we can't make this happen. We can't choose this in our mind, but we can, choose to dec- we can choose to realign who has the power, who has the authority, who holds the kingdom in our life right now. So I just want you to close your eyes real quick. And we sing these words, these are good words, but I don't want you just to repeat these words. I don't want you to sing this, this one part of this, this song. I want you to position your heart to make this true in your life. That your merit, your value, your worth does not come from your job, does not come from your accomplishments, does not come from your bank account, does not come from what you've done for God, what you've done 
for others does not come from who you're connected to, who you're related to, who likes you, who doesn't like you, how many people have read what you've said, how much people like what you have said. It comes from him and him alone. And we are choosing to set those things down, to let go and to say, God, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the power forever. receive adoption to sonship because you are his sons God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts the spirit who calls out Abba father so you are no longer a slave but God's child and since you are his child God has made you also an heir it has released the spirit of adoption into this place that your value is solely tied to your heavenly father. I just release a distaste for our value coming from anywhere else. It doesn't mean that we don't enjoy other things. It doesn't mean that we don't do other great things. It in fact is the reason that we do other things. It is in fact the empowerment that makes it so that we can achieve things, so that we can build healthy relationships but it is forever rooted in a value that comes from him and him alone. Just release. 
release this into us so that we can carry it into this year and live this upcoming year differently than we lived the last. And also so that we can release a gift to the world. A gift of knowing and feeling where your value comes from. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.